Good morning. In today's headlines, hackers take down several U.S. airport websites. Find out what's known about the Monday cyber attacks. The price of pork in the U.S. could be going up, or did California violate the U.S. Constitution by regulating commerce outside its borders? The case is being heard by the Supreme Court today. An increase in cardiac-related deaths. The Florida Department of Health issues new COVID vaccine guidance for young males. It's pumpkin season, which means it's time for the annual and iconic pumpkin weigh-off. And this year, a pumpkin over 2,500 pounds has set a new record. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, and I'm Evelyn Lee. It's Tuesday, October 11th today. And, you know, speaking of pumpkins, Evelyn, I used to grow gourds at the homestead, and they weren't 2,000 pounds, but they're beautiful little ornaments. And all this talk about pumpkins has me really anticipating Halloween and Thanksgiving. Mm, yeah, I mean, a lot to look forward to this season. Candy, pumpkin pie. But for all, your, all, all you bacon eaters out there, we have an update for you, too. Broadly speaking, the price of pork in the U.S. could be going up. That's if a California law on animal welfare sticks. The Supreme Court will hear arguments today about whether or not the law is constitutional. And today's Jeremy Sandberg explains. The case before the court on Tuesday involves California's Proposition 12, which voters passed in 2018. It requires pork sold in California to come from pigs whose mothers were raised with at least 24 square feet of space, have enough room to turn around and lie down. That rules out the industry standard metal cages known as gestation crates. The pork industry has defended the size of the enclosures as humane and necessary for animal safety. The question for the high court is if California has impermissibly burdened the pork market and improperly regulated an industry outside its borders. Two industry groups sued over the proposition. They argue that the measure violates a provision of the U.S. Constitution known as the Commerce Clause. Part of the clause bars states from passing laws discriminating against commerce in other states. They say that while Californians consume 13% of the pork eaten in the U.S., nearly 100% of it comes from hogs raised outside the state. Most of them aren't raised under conditions that would meet the California's law standards. California produces just 0.1% of the nation's pork. The groups also say it's likely all pork would have to meet California standards, regardless of where it's sold. That's because cuts of meat from various producers are often combined before sale. They estimate complying with Proposition 12 could cost the industry $290 million to $350 million. So far, lower courts have sided with California and animal welfare groups that support the proposition but the law has yet to go into effect. The California law also covers egg-laying hens and calves raised for veal. It requires them to be raised in conditions where they have enough room to lie down, stand up, and turn around freely. Those parts of the law aren't at issue in the case. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The Biden administration is urging the justices to side with pork producers. It says the law would be a major change in how pork is raised and marketed in the U.S. and that the proposition has thrown a wrench into the workings of the interstate pork market. Proponents say if the law is struck down, it could allow multi-state corporations to evade other state laws. Opponents say if the law is upheld, it would undermine state sovereignty and their authority to legislate. And in other news, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon says the U.S. and global economy could tip into a recession by the middle of the next year. 
That's according to a Monday CNBC report. Diamond attributed runaway inflation, interest rate hikes, the situation in Ukraine, and recent moves by the Fed as indicators of a potential recession. Diamond says with Europe already in a recession, those factors are likely to put the U.S. in a recession as well. He gives it about six to nine months before that happens. His comments come as major U.S. banks are about to report their third quarter earnings. And the Florida Department of Health has announced new guidance regarding mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. This after a study found there is an 84% increase in cardiac-related deaths among males 18 to 39 years old within 28 days following mRNA vaccination. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. It now recommends against males age 18 to 39 from receiving the mRNA vaccine. It continues that the benefit of vaccination is likely outweighed by the high risk of cardiac-related death among men in this age group. It also says that males over the age of 60 had a 10% increased risk of cardiac-related death within 28 days of mRNA vaccination. The department continues to stand by its guidance for pediatric COVID-19 vaccines. That recommends against COVID-19 vaccine use in healthy children and adolescents 5 years old to 17 years old, as well as vaccines for infants and children under 5 years old. In an interview with Tucker Carlson on Fox News, Florida Surgeon General Joseph A. Ladapo said, oh, You would never give something to someone who was young and healthy and increase their risk of dying from, cardi- from sudden cardiac death by 84%. Yes, COVID can be terrible, but we don't give people medications that kill them. Twitter blocked the guidance shared by Ladapo. They later restored it after public outcry. Ladapo says that many are hoping that the vaccine-related cardiac adverse events will just go away. This isn't going away. This is real. And, you know, and it's, it's important. I mean, it's, it's incredibly important. A study published in American Heart Association Journal Circulation last year stated that the overall risk of myocarditis is substantially higher immediately after getting COVID than after receiving a vaccination. One exception was men under 40 who received a second dose of the Moderna vaccine. They had a higher risk of myocarditis following vaccination. Dr. Joseph Ladapo is a graduate of Harvard Medical School and was previously a researcher at UCLA. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A rising number of American youths are being diagnosed with gender dysphoria. That's a persistent dissatisfaction with their biological gender. The number of facilities providing minors access to gender transition surgery and medication is also growing. Arkansas is the first state in the country to ban gender-altering procedures for children under 18. It's about to find out if its Safe Adolescents from Experimentation, or SAFE Act, holds up in court. The law's constitutionality goes on trial starting October 17th. 19 primarily Republican-leaning states are coming to its defense, and 20 Democrat-leaning states are joining the opposition. The law's fate could influence how states across the nation respond to the issue in the future. According to a Reuters report released this month, 42,000 American children and teens were diagnosed with gender dysphoria in 2021, and that's nearly triple the number from 2017. A group called the Gender Mapping Project says that was what was only a handful of gender clinics for children in North America a decade ago is now over 400. And California adopted a so-called gender-affirming health care law last month, declaring it the first sanctuary state where out-of-state minors can come for gender-related medical procedures. Gender-affirming care relates to sex change operations or cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers for young people. That law also is likely to face legal challenges. 
And in Tennessee, Vanderbilt University Medical Center has suspended all gender transition surgeries for minors. This comes after Tennessee lawmakers asked them to stop performing the irreversible surgeries on children. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Videos recently published related to Vanderbilt University Medical Center's transgender surgeries for minors raised concerns among the public. Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire, who tweeted the videos, says he got the following clips from Vanderbilt Psychiatry's YouTube channel, which was later taken down. We have some individuals who have started gender-affirming hormones at 13 or 14. If they are 16, 17, here at Vanderbilt, um, if they have been on testosterone, have a parental consent, um, we're able to do a lot of the top surgeries for those patients. Members of the Tennessee legislature soon stepped in and sent Vanderbilt University Medical Center, or VUMC, a letter signed by 62 Tennessee lawmakers. The lawmakers also said they were appalled to learn of the statements reportedly made by Vanderbilt personnel, threatening action against employees who object to transgender surgeries because of their religious beliefs. This was an apparent response to pediatrics professor Dr. Ellen Clayton of Vanderbilt saying this. Saying that you're not going to do something because of your conscientious, because of your religious beliefs is not without consequences. If you don't want to do this kind of work, don't work at Vanderbilt. And on Friday, VUMC complied with the lawmakers' requests. In a letter, VUMC agreed to pause gender transitioning surgeries on minors while they review new guidance on this type of surgery from the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. They said the review may take several months. The letter went on to clarify that VUMC's policies allow employees to request an accommodation to be excused from participating in surgeries they find morally objectionable. After VUMC's announcement, Matt Walsh tweeted, the fight is far from over, but this will save children from mutilation and abuse. Tennessee lawmakers are expected to take up this issue during their next legislative session, which begins on January 10th, 2023. Jason Perry, NTD News. Just ahead, President Biden announced a pardon for everyone convicted of marijuana possession under federal law. He's also showing support to reclassify the drug. What can we expect next? And what's the purpose of eating? Chinese citizens are asked that question while being forced to wear a mask while dining. We bring you the story after the break. Welcome back. Hackers took down websites for a number of U.S. airports on Monday. Officials say the cyber attacks did not affect flight operations. Atlanta, Chicago, New York, L.A., and Denver airports all reported being taken offline. Airport managers say they notified the FBI and TSA about the attacks. According to an American cybersecurity firm, a group of pro-Russian hackers known as KillNet were responsible. The group posted on Telegram calling for denial-of-service attacks on several targets, including a list of U.S. airports. This type of cyber attack floods a website with traffic and causes it to freeze or crash. Although not a serious security threat, they are often used to cause inconvenience and draw public attention. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will address an emergency meeting of G7 leaders today. He's expected to ask for weapons so Ukraine can defend itself from Russian rockets. This after cruise missiles rained on busy Ukrainian cities yesterday in what the United States calls horrific strikes. Entities Daniel Monahan has more. 
missiles tore into intersections, parks, and tourist sites in the capital Kyiv, and explosions were reported in Lviv, Ternopil, and all over Ukraine. Officials say at least 19 were killed and 105 wounded in the strikes. Thousands of residents raced to bomb shelters as air raid sirens sounded throughout the day. Dozens of cruise missiles fired from air, land, and sea rang out in an endless barrage. President Vladimir Putin says he ordered the massive long-range strikes in response to the Crimean bridge attack. He threatened more strikes in the future if Ukraine hits Russian territory. Meanwhile, U.S. President Joe Biden pledged to provide Ukraine with advanced air systems after the devastating missile barrage. Biden spoke by phone with Zelensky to give assurances about continued U.S. support. In other developments, U.N. members expressed solidarity with Ukraine after voting on Monday. This assembly's call on Russia since the start of its illegal invasion has been simple. End this war and withdraw from Ukraine. They rejected Russia's call for the 193-member body to hold a secret ballot on whether to condemn Moscow's move to annex four partially occupied regions. On Saturday, Russian's defense ministry named General Sergei Serovikin as commander of Russian forces in Ukraine. Serovikin won a claim in Syria for his ruthless air bombardment campaign that helped the government crush its enemies. Meanwhile, in another sign of possible escalation, President Lukashenko of Belarus says he ordered troops to deploy jointly with Russian forces near Ukraine. He accuses Ukraine of planning attacks on Belarus with its Western backers. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Here in the U.S., President Biden issued a pardon for Americans who are convicted for marijuana possession under federal law. He also said that cl classifying marijuana as a Schedule I drug doesn't make sense because that puts it in the same category as heroin. Will there be an overhaul on policies? I spoke to an expert that says policy is way ahead of the science when it comes to cannabis. Joining me to discuss the marijuana pardon is Paul Larkin. He's a senior legal research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Good to have you, Paul. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So the pardon doesn't have an effect on that many people, around 6,500. But in the bigger picture, what do you think is the significance of this announcement? Well, look at it from three perspectives, legal, policy, and political. From the legal perspective, the president clearly has the authority to do this. The pardon clause in the Constitution allows him to grant reprieves and pardons, and he can pardon people on a case-by-case -case or category-wide basis. There's no doubt. As a policy matter, the framers put this in there so that the president, on behalf of the nation, could say to someone, like it was said in the New Testament, I forgive you, go and sin no more. So the question is, does it serve that? The problem is the third perspective, political. This is just a political trick. That's all is going on here. If he really thought everything that, if we really believed everything he said when he issued the pardons, he would have done it early in his presidency. Instead, he waited till 18 months had gone by, and it's one month before an election where the polls say his party's going to get pasted. All he's doing is just throwing something out there to try to troll for votes. That's a very interesting take on it. So, because right now marijuana is a Schedule One drug, and President Biden did say that it should, that also should be reviewed because it's in the same category as heroin as of right now. So, what will it mean if it's actually rescheduled as a drug? How do you think it will affect Americans? It depends on what actually happens. Why? 
because there are two laws that regulate cannabis. One is the Controlled Substances Act, and as you said, it puts it in the same schedule as heroin. But there is also the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, and that prohibits drugs from being shipped in interstate commerce unless and until the Food and Drug Administration finds that they are safe and effective. The FDA has never found that smoking a doobie is safe and effective, and it can't. There are too many things wrong with agricultural cannabis. We don't have consistency of products. We don't have consistency of potency. There is contamination by all sorts of heavy metals and other poisons in the grow that come from the growing process. So even if he took it out of the Controlled Substances Act, it still could not be shipped in interstate commerce because the FDA has never approved it and can't. So that's a very interesting point, and just we are very tight on time. But just quickly for context and keeping all that in mind, what would be needed then for President Biden to succeed in overhauling the policy on this? Well, if he wanted to, he would have to actually go to Congress and make a deal. Uh, the problem is he is disinclined to do that. He ordered the CDC to adopt an eviction moratorium because he didn't want to go back to Congress. He ordered OSHA to adopt a vaccine mandate because he didn't want to persuade Congress. He would rather just issue a diktat and tell an agency to make it so. So what do you think, then, will we see happen next in this process of legalization? Well, sometime after the election, you can bet it's not going to happen before, the attorney general and the HHS secretary will get together and figure out a program for re-examining cannabis, something that has happened over the, each of the last decades. For 50 years, the FDA has looked at this and said, no, it's, smoking cannabis is not safe and effective. That isn't going to change. All right. Thank you so much. This is a very interesting take and some really interesting insights. So thank you so much, Paul Larkin with the Heritage Foundation. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. In other news, Haitian frustration at the government is mounting. At least one person died during clashes with police on Monday. Protests turned into a looting spree and riot officers shot tear gas to disperse protesters who threw stones in return. The protests are motivated by high unemployment, insecurity and inflation. And protesters demand Prime Minister Ariel Henry's resignation. Gun battles between gangs and police have also increased in recent weeks as fuel shortages have led many to desperation. Haiti's ambassador to the United States has urged the U.S. and Canada to take the lead in forming a strike force to confront Haitian gangs. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres proposed a rapid action force to help Haiti's police confront the gangs. And how do you eat with mask on? Well, people in China figured out a way while most of the world is trying to live with COVID, China, on the other hand, continues to maintain its strict zero-COVID policy. New videos went viral of Chinese citizens wearing a beak mask while eating. Eating with a mask on is part of the Chinese regime's strict zero-COVID policy. In a video, children at school are seen eating with their masks on. The Chinese regime's harsh measures to contain the CCP virus has received a lot of backlash from Chinese citizens on social media. In one video, two girls on a train took their mask off to eat. 
and a person nearby reported that to the police. They then asked the girls about the purpose of eating. And another video shows the owner of a restaurant eating alone until two COVID prevention staff came in and demanded that he wear a mask. A heated argument then broke out. It's pumpkin season, which means it's time for the annual and iconic pumpkin way off. And this year, a pumpkin over 2,000 pounds has set new record. That's after the break. Good to have you back. Golfer Dustin Johnson will be the first individual champion in the live golf season. There's still another tournament to be played this weekend in Saudi Arabia, but it's impossible for anyone to overcome Johnson's point lead. That means he'll definitely win the $18 million prize. Johnson's move from the PGA to live has been controversial, as it has been for many golfers. The league is funded by money from Saudi financiers, which has split many professional golfers and other stakeholders on its legitimacy. The PGA currently bans any live golfers from participating in its tour. The annual and iconic pumpkin weigh-off in Half Moon Bay has concluded, setting off new records and drawing in folks from all around. Entity's David Lamb reports. 2,560 pounds, that's the winning number of this year's pumpkin at the World Championship weigh-off. Now people are lining up to take pictures, not only because they want first place, it also broke the North American record. Traps off. I have the grower up on stage here with me, Travis Ginger. The annual Safeway World Championship Pumpkin Wayoff brought festivity to a foggy day. Travis Ganger is the owner of Maverick, which is leading the nation as the heaviest pumpkin when it hit the scale. At first, I honestly I expected more, but I'm I'm super thankful that it's the North American record. Travis, you got gas money. $23,040! The weigh-in reward is $9 per pound, so he takes home over $23,000 for this behemoth. 180 days of labor. <laughs> labor of love. It squashed three records, heaviest pumpkin in Half Moon Bay, California, and North America. This is the biggest pumpkin grown in the United States of America. You broke the record. You broke the record, buddy. Hailing from the Halloween capital of the world, it took him 35 hours of driving and $1,100 of gas to get to transport Maverick. So it's named Maverick because it crashed and burned on day five with all the scars, so it's a Maverick bear and it plays. He says it's tough to grow pumpkins in Minnesota during the spring and fall, but he somehow won twice, with the first time in 2020 for a 2,350-pounder. It shouldn't even happen in Minnesota because our, our weather goes from 96 to 42 in 24 hours. So, I mean, we got lucky with this one. How did you feel coming into the way off? I was nervous. I mean, Steve's is huge and to top it was pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. The runner-up was Steve Delita's pumpkin at 2,425. He has won four championships at Half Moon Bay. One nerve-wracking part of the pumpkin growing hobby is lifting the massive gourds. 
So we got a lot of time and energy invested in the things. And so, you know, this is the culmination of it all and you want everything to work. You know, you make a mistake, you lose your pumpkin. The most beautiful gourd went to a local. It is so exciting. Um, it's always such a labor of love watching the pumpkins grow and you get so excited to see the unique shapes that they take and how big that they're gonna get. So um, it's awesome, he's excited. He helped me water it every time we'd go out there. It's one of his favorite things to do, so. Orange says she's putting the $1,000 prize money into a college education for her son. I think the biggest challenge is you never know if the mildew and mold and bugs and critters are going to get to him. So every day we'd go out there and check and say, okay, it's still intact. That is fantastic. One grower told us he won a pumpkin seed many years ago and entered the hobby. So that one seed was like, you know, the, catching the fish and getting hooked. So I've been doing it every year since. And then there's a great community of people. 1677. Went heavy on me. Nice. The current world record is a pumpkin from Italy that weighed over 2,700 pounds. This contest kicks off the golden anniversary of the Half Moon Bay Art and Pumpkin Festival to be held on October 15th and 16th. David Lamb, NCD News, Half Moon Bay, California. The size of those, that's insane. Yeah, I know it is. I mean, I wonder how many pies that can make. Very good question. I would not know. <laughs> so wait, do you have a green thumb, Evelyn? Uh, I wouldn't say so. My succulents die, so I wouldn't, I def unfortunately, I don't. Those poor plants. Yes. I shouldn't get any more of them. <laughs> anyway, that's all. We're wrapping for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. Before you go, you can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at NTD.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.